Just want to thank you again for our time together tonight. We bless your name for the privilege of bringing us together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the journey we began since Sunday. Thank you for teaching us and helping us to come into the reality of who we are in you and as a result, what we are supposed to become to the world around us. And so, Lord, we thank you for this session tonight. We thank you for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, who is a great teacher that is teaching us, leading us, guiding us, and helping us. We receive tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. So, again, we welcome tonight. And uh, we're going to just jump right on in and begin uh, to make progress in our teachings, which we began since Sunday. We gave the background to the book of Ephesians. We last night talked about the overview. And so tonight, we are going to go to the first section of the, uh, of the three divisions of the book. Last night, I told you this book of Ephesians can be broken down into three sessions. Number one, we sit. Number two, we walk, and number three, we stand. Amen? Amen? We sit as our position in union with Christ. We walk to affect the world around us, and we take a stand as an attitude against the enemy. So tonight we're going to take that very first one on sitting in Christ, sitting together with him, sit, walk, and stand. All right, so let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. <laughs> it's almost as we will now leave that chapter 1 of Ephesians. <laughs> We've been there forever. Ephesians chapter 1. So tonight, what I want to do tonight is break this tonight's session into three, three components. The first part, I'm going to speak about our position in Christ. And then the next part, I'm going to talk about our blessings as a result of that position. And the third part, I'm going to talk about our response to what God has done. Amen? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, New King James Version. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. Let me go to verse 18, same chapter, verse 18. Paul was praying as we closed last night that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he walked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Okay, so the first thing I want to address tonight is our position in Christ. And now, we see that in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Where the Bible says what the, all the spiritual blessings that we have in, that we have is what? In Christ. Now, that phrase in Christ or in him appears in this book at least 19 times that I could count. In him or in Christ. Now, there are many other mentions of those terms, in him or in Christ, in Colossians, Philippians, Corinthians, but I'm just talking about the book of Ephesians alone. As far as I could count, and I still think arithmetic is not such a big, big deal, I still can count a little bit. <laughs> I was able to count at least 19. The reason for this is because you and I must understand how we get blessed. We only get blessed in him or in Christ. He is the reason for God dealing with us to even begin with. Remember Ephesians 1.4, which we're going to get to that in a moment, how we were chosen in him 
before time began. So everything that you and I get as a believer is as a result of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is very important you get that. We get nothing apart from him. Nineteen times, the Bible says, in Ephesians alone, we're in him or in Christ. So the important thing for us to see here right away is our position is in him. Now, by way of digression, let me just say again, Ephesians 1 verse 3. Notice the blessings we have. Notice what the Bible says. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. Now, the reason this is important, when I'm blessed with a car, I don't have to pray to see it. The car is in my garage. When I'm blessed with a house, I don't have to pray to see it. I live in it. When you're blessed with a husband, a wife, children, you don't have to pray to see those things. Those things manifest naturally because they are natural, physical blessings. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He said we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. This is the reason we pray. Because the spiritual blessings are not nearly as manifest as the physical. Huge. The blessing God promises every believer. Ah, now, this is going to get some people upset. The blessing God promises every believer is spiritual blessing. Not euros, not US dollars, not Naira, not Sedi, not whatever. Now, am I saying that God will not bless you with money? I, I didn't say that. But that depends on what you do to attract value to yourself. Okay. This is going to be tough. This is going to be a, a tough one here. The blessing that is promised to every believer is spiritual blessing. Now, if you steward the spiritual blessing correctly, it will manifest in everything else you need. It will manifest in everything else you need. But I just want you to understand that God is not a piggy bank or an ATM machine and that because we are born again, you just automatically go and withdraw and take money and go. No. I'm sorry. However, he's promised us every spiritual blessing. And where is it? In the heavenly places. Where is it stored? In Christ. In Christ. Now, so, our position is to be one of union with him in the heavenlies. We must really, really, this is the nitty gritty. If we get this, and if the enemy does not make you to shift your position, then they cannot get you. Because God has placed you in him. Now, so the question is, I, 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 threw, I threw out two scriptures on Sunday morning, John chapter 14 and John chapter 3. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, where I am there, you may be also. John 14, 3. And we know that right now, he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father. That's where he is. But then in John chapter 3, verse 13, he's talking to Nicodemus on the earth, and he says, the son of man who is in heaven is on the earth, and yet he's saying he's in heaven. Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this to help us grapple the fact that we can be here in Lawrenceville and at the same time sitting in heavenly places. You've got to understand that. Years ago, if a man or a woman was flying from Atlanta to New York, when he tells his wife or his spouse goodbye, you don't hear from them again until you, until you get to New York and pick up the phone and say, oh, yeah, I arrived. Is that correct? But this, this is not so. From a moment you get on the aircraft, you are Wi-Fi. You're flying at 35,000 feet and you're still communicating. That dead silence time that used to be the case 10, 15 years ago is no longer there. 
So all of a sudden, the dead time has been breached. Now, if you told someone 15 years ago that why are you flying from here to Lagos or flying from here to Jamaica, from here to New York, from here to Las Vegas, you can be talking to them on the phone, they say, you're crazy. Because technology at that time had not caught up to the reality of where we were. So here it is in 2019, I'm telling you that you're here in Lawrenceville and you're in heaven and you're scratching your heads. I don't know what will happen five years from now, 20 years from now, 40 years from now, from which God will make it so clear to you that even though you're in Lawrenceville, you're actually in heaven. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen, for you and I, the issue is not trying to argue with God. The issue is just believe what he says. Amen. I didn't place you in Christ. He did. And while we may not be able to explain what it means in natural terminology that everybody understands, at least we can go to the word and say the Bible said so. In fact, let me give you a scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. Of him. Who's him? God. In other words, <laughs> okay, let me read it. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. So the point here is, the Bible is saying, God put you in there. So instead of trying to scratch your head and, okay, okay, I'm in union with Christ. Okay, I'm in him. I'm in Christ. How is that possible? God said, I did it. Just as you do not know how he created the earth or the heaven, and you are in it, you are breathing, you are living, accept it. Amen? Another scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, who is who? God. God. So, my friends, this is something accomplished by him in his sovereign wisdom to be seen, believed, accepted, and rejoiced in by us. Now, why is this important? Let's go to Job chapter 1. So our position is in him. That's where we are. So really, when this message gets into us, and somebody asks you, where are you? What's your address? In him. In him. In Christ. That's, that's where you are. In him. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Ah, there's too many verses to hear. From verse 1, thank you. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him, and his, possess and his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, blah, 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 blah. Okay, <laughs> verse 5. <laughs> verse 5. So it was... When the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them and would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, verse 5, for Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. So here is Job. Who we are told feared God, he was blameless and upright, he shunned evil, yet he lived in fear. Every time his kids got together, the Bible said he offered sacrifices. Not because he knew they did something wrong, but he feared. He just, he just wondered, I don't know what those guys are thinking. Another sacrifice. I don't know what they're thinking. Another sacrifice. I don't know what they're thinking. This was a man who was not secured in his position with God. He was driven with fear. And we read that in Job chapter 3, verse 25, where it says, the things that I fear the most has come upon me. What's the point? For a believer, 
who is not secured in their position in God, in Christ, in him, you will operate out of your head knowledge. You will operate out of fear because you are never sure where you are. You are never sure what's going to happen. You are not secured of where God has placed you. Now, just a simple exercise. Oh, wow. I don't have any currency on me here. Anybody has any currency? Mm-hmm. Currency. Currency. I'll give it back to you. Don't worry. <laughs> now, th- that's wonderful. From, is my hand that long that I can reach over? <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you. I have her here. Watch this. This is a currency. I put it in this book. If I put the book on this chair, where's the currency? In the it's in the book. If I decide to take this book and burn it up, what happens to the currency? It burns with it. Yeah. If I put it in water, it's in the book. The, 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 the destiny of the currency is the destiny, is the same as the destiny of the book. That's, that's your destiny. Christ's destiny, thank you dear. Christ's destiny is your destiny. And that's the reason Paul mentioned in him, in Christ, 19 times. In one book. Trying to help us to understand. Listen. Jesus has no separate destiny from you. He paid the price in full to secure that where he is, that's where you are. And all you and I have to do is simply just believe it. Now, let's move very quickly. That's our position. Now our blessings. What do we get as a result of this position that we have in Christ? Paul addressed that fully in these first three chapters of Ephesians. So, in Ephesians 1, 4, let me get there. Ephesians 1, verse 4. He says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, I'm not going to go through, I'm going to give you all the list of these blessings, but there's about 10, 11, 12 of them. There's no way I can address each one of them one by one in this session. It's not possible. Otherwise, we won't do anything else. But I'm going to address one or two of them. And what will happen is subsequent Wednesdays, we may may take on some of these other ones. Okay, but I'm going to address the two big elephants in the room. Right off the bat. So Ephesians 1.4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So the first one I want to address is this one that where he says he chose us. Let's even talk about being chosen. Being chosen. Being chosen. God help me. Let us go to Acts chapter 19 again. So one of the first blessings we know is we are chosen. We are chosen. We are chosen. In fact, in fact, in fact, in fact, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'm sorry. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Being chosen. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Now, God is talking to Israel. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above the peoples on the face of the earth. Now, you and I know the history and the career of Israel. Were they chosen because they were good? The Bible says, for you are holy people. Was there anything about them that really was attractive? Come to, come to think of it? No. But God says, I chose you. And I chose you to be a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of this earth. Now, with that in mind, let's go to Acts 19. Acts 19. Let's go back to the city of Ephesus. 
Acts chapter 19, verse 27 and 28. And I'm jumping here because I'm trying to save time. Acts 19, 27, 28. So, not only is this state of ours in danger of falling to disrepute, but also the temple of great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Let's jump to verse 34. Verse 34. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours. Think about that, two hours. What were they saying? Great is Diana of the Ephesians for two hours. Now, they were, not sh- they were not shouting to praise God now. This is a demon sex goddess. With one voice, they shouted for two hours. In the contrast to what was going on in this temple, this huge temple where this was happening, Paul had planted a small church among the Ephesians. So you can only imagine, just just imagine, this small church in a city of half a million people where superstition, idolatry, sorcery, prostitution, all kinds of things was going on, and the whole city was totally in uproar, shouting, great is Diana! Can you imagine the intimidation for those, small, for those people in that small church based on what's happening in the city? Diana was a sex goddess, which made her a female deity. So the people of Ephesians were getting all caught up in this female deity, not recognizing that right there in that city was a small band of people who were really the ones called to be magnificent. The real woman in the city was the church, not Diana. Ah, I don't know if you caught that. Because the church is the bride of the lamb, and even though they were all shouting about Diana, the real bride, the one that really has the radiance and the brilliance and, 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 and the real magnificence is the church. What am I saying to us? God said he chose you and I before time began. You may not have the money of Bill Gates because what God promised you is special, blessing, special blessings. You may not have all the trappings of the world around you. You may not have all the goods that everybody has and shouting about and running up and down for. You may not have any of those things. But God says, I chose you still. Not only have I chosen you, you will be a treasure unto me among all the peoples of the earth. I place my hand upon you. I place my signature upon you. I place my glory upon you. Regardless of what is going on around you, remember you've been chosen. Huge. So this term being chosen is closely related and spoken of in the same line as being holy, as we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 7. I chose you to be holy. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, the same thing. Let me read it again because now I'm going to move to the second blessing. Ephesians 1 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, there will be, we should be holy. So you see the connection again. In the Old Testament, you saw it, chosen and holy. In the New Testament, you saw it again, chosen and holy. Are you still following me? I told you we're going to get into the weeds tonight. Now, holy. Immediately we throw out the word holy. 
different thoughts begin to be conjured in our minds, just as when you heard the word saint. And actually those two words mean the same thing, to be set apart. So God says, not only did I choose you, I chose you to be holy. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? We victimize our women. Ah, you can wear lipstick. You can wear short dresses. You can do this. You can do that. As if the women are the only ones that's violating being holy. But when we go to the original intent of the word of God, the word holy has nothing to do with what we've already, or we always talk about it for. Let me, let me let, in fact, I, I, I wrote a book called uh, Holiness Redefined. You, you may need to go online to get it. T3global.org, Holiness Redefined. It, it, because I can't get into all of this in one setting, but let me just give you a few things. Number one, if our idea of holiness has to do with sinlessness or blamelessness, what happens then when in Genesis chapter 2, God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, the Bible says, bless it and call it holy? Can the day sin? Okay, let's go there. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Because you need to know who you are. You are positioning him. You are in union with Jesus Christ. You are chosen and you are holy. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day. He didn't bless days number 6, 5, 4, 3, or 1. He didn't bless any of those. But he blessed the seventh day. And sanctified it. Same as the word holy. He blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So, if holiness is, has to do with long dress, is it, is it day wearing dresses? If it has to do with lipstick, does the day wear lipstick? lipstick? Ah, they say, look at her, she's Jezebel. Here he comes. Red lipstick. No, of course it has nothing to do with that. Moses, God, confronted him at the burning bush. God said, take off your shoes, for the ground where thou standest is what? Holy. So is the ground going to sing? You need to understand this, because if you don't understand this, you won't know what God calls you. He said, you are chosen and you are are holy. He said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Does that say that God means God cannot sin? Nothing far, it's so far from, religion and tradition has messed our minds up. We don't even think any longer. We just take what somebody passed on to us. We don't check it out and we run with it and we run to the wrong conclusion. To be holy simply means to be set apart. It's not sinlessness, neither is it perfection. It means sanctified and separated unto God to be different, to be distinct from everything that is common. No matter how perfect, if that's possible, or how sinless a person can be, they'll still not be holy. I don't know if you heard what I said. If it was possible for you to be sinless and perfect in the reasons of it, and you are not related to God, you still cannot be holy. Because your holiness is in him, cannot be apart from him. Amen? So you are chosen. You are definitely holy. Let me just give you the rest of it. I need to move on. You are accepted in the beloved, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. You are raised and seated together with him, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. 
You are reconciled and set in a temple. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11. No, verses 21 through 22. Now, by the way, all of this will be available for you online by this time tomorrow night. And from the previous teachings, all of those notes are already on the website. Now, last night I said that you could talk to Revelation. That was, I misspoke on that one. Uh, the plan was that we should direct you guys to the website. That's workfundusa.org slash message. And all the notes are already there. So, Amen. you know, you can, you can avail yourself to that. You. Amen. And the notes from tonight will be there this time tomorrow night. Yeah, that's workfindusa.org slash message. I'm saying that so you don't get caught up trying to remember all this things I'm saying to you because it's a lot of stuff. So we are reconciled and set in the temple, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. We are sealed. Now, I'm going to talk about this for a minute. We are sealed with a spirit of promise. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, these are the blessings of our union. We are sealed. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Look at what it says. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Next verse. Now, this Holy Spirit of promise, look at, what, look at who is in verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased position to the praise of his glory? This is humongous. This is huge. <laughs> so this was happening. Ephesus and Corinth were port cities. Okay? Ships came in and went out. And they had a thriving lumber business at Ephesus. And in a port at Ephesus, they had rafts. So the lumber would come in and they put the lumber on rafts, like a storage. And the rep for the different lumber companies would come there and check the lumber out and place their seal on the particular stock lumber that belonged to them. So that at a different date, when they came to reclaim the lumber, they identified them by the seal that was on them. Do you follow me? Different lumber companies, different seals, but each one unique. So that when they came to reclaim the lumber, they knew what belonged to who. God said, from the day you and I believed, when he placed me and you in him in Christ, he sealed you. That would have been good enough for me. But that's not all he did. Not only did he seal us with what? With the Holy Spirit. He now goes on to say in verse 40 that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. When the purchaser comes back for the purchased good, the Holy Spirit is guaranteed that the good remains there. What's the implication in, in, in contemporary times? I want to buy a house. And they say to me, you like the deal? I like it. You got to do something. You just can't say you like the deal and walk away. What are they asking for? Honest money. money. The honest money represents the seal that seals the deal to say this house has been committed to John Doe. Now here's the implication. If for some reason I choose not to go ahead with the transaction, what happens? I lose the honest money. Ah, you are smart people. Look at what God has done. He didn't just use money to secure us. He secured us with himself in the person of the Holy Ghost. Yes. Yes. 
The implication being, if God does not come back to get you and redeem you as a purchased possession, he loses the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now, how possible is that? Is he going to lose himself? It's important we understand these things. There are troops that helps to strengthen our position. I'm a purchased position of God. He has put a deposit on me. He has sealed me with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost is the guarantee that Jesus will return to get me. He cannot fail. But if you don't know these things, we become wishy-washy. So that's a blessing. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The guarantee of our inheritance. Next, we have forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1.7. We have redemption. Ephesians 1.7. We have inheritance. Ephesians 1.11. We are destined to sonship. Ephesians 1.5. And then of course, wisdom and understanding belongs to us. Ephesians 1.8 through 10. And we said this already, that all spiritual blessings in Christ belongs to us. Ephesians 1.3. So those are the blessings that go along with our position. So we know what the position is. We know what the blessings are. Now let's deal with the issue of what is our response. How do you and I respond to what God has done? Now I'm not speaking... on chapters 4 through 6, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in a light of our position, in a light of the blessings, we know we're supposed to sit, walk, and stand. What does it mean to sit? Because this is huge. The position we have, the blessings we've been given, if we are not seated, we really cannot appropriate it. The beginning of every spiritual life starts with rest. Okay. God help me to explain this. God walked for six days. The one, two, three, four, five. At the end of the sixth day, Adam was created. Is that correct? Day number seven, we are told, God rested from all this work that he had done. So while God was working, where was Adam? Not created. Adam did not participate in anything God did. He came at the last day of God's working. God's seventh day, which was God's day of rest, became Adam's day number one. Are you guys following me? No, no, you're not following. Is that deep? It's not deep. Okay, God, help me to explain. Because you you need to understand, every spiritual life starts in rest. Every spiritual life. Adam began his day, his life in rest. God was at rest on the seventh day when Adam began his first day. So he came in rest. Ah, yeah. Numbers chapter 10, verse 33. Numbers 10, 33. Numbers 10, 33. Yeah. Adam began his day, his life in rest. So did Israel. Israel came out of Egypt. Look at what God said. So they departed from a mountain of the Lord on a journey of what? Three days. Three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for the three days journey. To do what? To search out a resting place for them. They came out of Egypt and God said, you know what? Because God does the work. How did they get delivered? God did the work. He judged Pharaoh. He judged Israel. Israel didn't do nothing. They just sat down there and watched signs and wonders, miracles happening. God did all the work. And after he finished doing all the work, he said, now you can go and rest. God works 
a man rest. If you, can, if you can just understand that. Man does not walk to rest, but man rests to walk. God walks and then rests, but man rests and then walks. Totally opposite. We just saw it. Six days of creation, God was walking. When he started to rest, Adam came forth. God walked. Adam didn't partake of the walk, but he partook of the rest. Israel didn't do anything about their deliverance. God did. And God did it and said, I am going to lead you and find a place for you to rest. Same thing with Jesus. John chapter 5 verse 17, my father walketh and he that though I walk. John 17 verse 3 verse 4, Jesus said, I have finished the work which you gave me. John 19 verse 30, he said, it is what? Finished. It is at the point when he finished it that you and I can be born again. Huge. Now let me ask you a question. So I'm standing here right now. I'm standing. In order for me to stand or even walk, my legs have to carry the weight of my body. Is that rock science? Do you see that? Is that true? Abba, please, you guys talk to me now. Yes. <laughs> but if I was to sit down, is my life still carrying me? No. Huge difference. While I'm standing or moving, my legs carry the weight of my entire body. But when I sit down, all of a sudden, I am no longer walking, something else. Someone else has taken on the walk. I am just what? Resting. Ah. Here's the chair. I'm sitting. My entire body weight is now on what? On the chair. Who's doing the walk? The chair. So Jesus said to you and I, all you that labor and are heavy laden, come unto me. And I will give you rest. Because as long as you are in me, what I want you to do is, you just rest. Let me do the work while you are resting. I am the one that's at work in you, both to will and to do of my good pleasure. You can't do nothing for me. I am working. Using you as a tool to do so. That's what rest is all about. He doesn't want you and I to engage in anything for him. No. He just wants to walk through us to do it himself. Paul made it clear. Give me Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Thank you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the question is, if Jesus is living in you, what do you think he's living in you for? If he's in us. We're in him and he's in us. I mean, what, what, what's, what's the essence of that? Listen, you and I cannot live the Christian life. It's not asking us to live it. It's just asking us to give ourselves so he can live it through us. And the only way that can happen is you rest. Just rest. Rest means believing everything he has said. Total, complete dependence on who he is. Stop trying to figure it out with your head. Quit. Seize your activities. Let him take control. Let him take over. Ask him, Jesus, what's the agenda for today? Don't come up with your things to do list and give it to him and say, Jesus, rub a stamp. No, he has his own agenda. You sit. You chill. 
This is why you and I must know the Holy Spirit. We see it. Now, the scripture that uh, I didn't use last night uh, because of time, uh, Pastor Tosin brought it to my attention late last night, and it's very apt. Give me Psalms 1 verse 1 to show you the contrast about what we're talking about and what happens now and what happened in the Old Testament. Psalm 1 1. Blessed is the man who does what? Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scorned. Now, isn't that amazing that the, three same, the same three words that we're talking about now is what's in there? Yes. You see it? Sit, sit, walk, and stand in the New Testament. But in the Old, it's reversed. In the Old Testament, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the godly nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of discomfort. Total opposite. Why? Because under the law, you walked to earn anything. Your effort under the law is what brings the result. But in grace, it's not your effort. Your effort, your effort can do jack. For lack of better word, I'm sorry for my vocabulary. <laughs> but I just want to impress upon you the work that Jesus has done in our behalf. And the only way we enter into the blessing of this work is we rest. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 says there remained a rest for the people of God. We've got to sit. So you say, how do I do that? How do I do that? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. I cannot give you a formula other than tell you you need to get a place where you totally, completely depend on him and his finished work concerning you. And it's a daily walk. It's a daily walk. It's a daily walk. But the important thing is you need to start the journey. You need to start the journey. Listen, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this. Just, just the thrill of not being able to predict. See, because in, in our flesh, everything is predictable. You've, you've, you've mapped it out. You know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. The, in fact, December 2019, you already finished it. It's mapped out. But the thrill of just seeing God, what's going to happen today? Where are we going today? What are you going to do today, God? It's real. It is real. But it only happens to those who says, God, I'm giving the reins to my life. One last example, we close. I know you've gone to the mall and you've seen perhaps sick or disabled people riding around the morning scooters. Motor scooters, you've seen that? Motorized scooters. As long as they are seated on the scooter, the scooter can, can move. If they were to stand or walk, they're not going anywhere. Mm. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Forget it. Don't even look at the mall. You go home tonight. Are you, going, are you going to get in your car and stand up while you're driving it? No, oh, really? Yes. You won't stand? No, no. Uh, why will you not stand? You have legs. You won't do it. We have enough sense to know there's a driver's seat and there's a steering wheel. Mm. And the only way you move your car forward, you better be seated. The moment you stand, you stop. Is that not correct? That's exactly what Christ wants you and I to do. Sit. You sit to walk. And you walk to stand. 
It's a divine order. And you don't break the order. When you break the order, you do not get the results you are looking for. You're going to say tomorrow night, the reason many of us are frustrated, where we have one good day and one bad day, one good day we're going up and down like you, you see tomorrow. But the important thing for tonight is you and I must resolve to be at rest. God said, we are seated together with him in heavenly places. That's where he is. And if that's where he is, automatically because you are in him, you are there with him. Make that your reality. How do you do that? You pray it. That's why I keep on telling us our prayer life needs to change. Yeah. It needs to change. The prayers we've been praying, uh, those religious men that told us they should bring them and spank all of them. <laughs> Honestly. They've done us disservice. But, but again, I just said that in joking way. They've given us the light they have. In all honesty, they've given us what they know. But now that God has given us more light, then we need to act accordingly. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's turn to our faith and just bless God. So tomorrow night, we're going to walk. We're sitting so we can walk. Father, we want to thank you for our time together. We bless you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for all of the uh, wonderful things you've done for us, the position you have us in, in Christ, in you. We are no longer going to dilly-dally, question and doubt and wonder. We take your word for it. You said you established it. You placed us in Christ. We accept that. We thank you for it. We thank you for all the blessings you've made available for us under this grace and new covenant. Thank you that you've chosen us, not because of anything we have done, not because we earned or merit your choice, but because you purposed in your heart to choose us and to call us holy in him. And so, Lord Jesus, we declare, we agree with you tonight that we are chosen and we are holy. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, for our redemption, for our inheritance. Thank you that we are sealed by your Holy Spirit, that you are the guarantee of our redemption. We thank you for our inheritance in you. We thank you that you've destined us to be your sons and your daughters. Thank you, Father God. We bless you, Lord God, tonight. Lord, we rest in your finished work. We sit together with you in heavenly places where the heavenly realities become real and manifest in our, in our day and our time. Thank you, Father God. We honor you. Holy Spirit, thank you that you water the seed of the word that has been received. We bless you tonight. We praise your name forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.